would like you to first turn to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. I think a pretty familiar text to you. <laughs> the word we are going to focus on this morning appears in this text in the words of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 18, starting with verse 15, I will read through verse 20. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, and every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Now, 2 Timothy, once again, chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are received by grace into your presence as those who have been given thy grace. Enable us, enable us to see how we are to receive thy word to direct us by thy path, the path that thy word has mapped out for us. Bless us, nourish us always with thy word. In Christ's name, amen. What does it mean that the Bible or the scripture is usable for reproof? For reproof. 
This morning we come to the second characteristic concerning the practical use of Scripture. The word in your text in 2 Timothy 3.16 is the word reproof. We have already seen that the Bible is usable for teaching, which means it is usable for doctrinal teaching and instruction of God's will as it is found in Scripture in order for Christ's children to inherit, to inherit the kingdom of heaven. But how does the doctrinal teaching of God's will come to expression in the life of the believer by reading God's word? One way is that God's word supplies reproof to the Christian life. What does reproof mean? The ESV translates the Greek word here with the English word reproof. The idea here is to correct in the sense of finding fault, rebuke in a sense. In light of the context in 2 Timothy 3.16, we would say that the Bible is usable to correct one's faults. The Bible confronts and it admonishes us as sinners in order that we may live the will of God by the word of God. Indeed, as true believers, we desire that the word of God perform such an act upon our souls in order to secure each of our lives eternally in Jesus Christ. Outside of Paul, in Matthew 18, verse 15, which I read this morning, we find the same Greek word is translated with an English word, fault, in the ESV. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained a brother. Returning to Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 and 13, the Greek word is translated with the English word expose in the ESV. Verse 11 of Ephesians 5, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Verse 13, and when everything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. At this point, at this point, we have three English terms by which our Greek word is translated in the ESV. Reproof, meaning correct or rebuke, in 2 Timothy 3.16, fault in Matthew 18.15, and expose in Ephesians 5.11 and 13. Obviously, scholars working on the English 
translation of this particular Greek word have attempted to determine their translation on the basis of the context of which we are reading. Simply put, just like in English, certain words can be understood in different ways, you must determine its understanding on the basis of the context. Likewise, Greek words can be translated in by different words, and you must also determine the best translation or the best one on the basis of the particular context. But as we look at the various translations of the Greek word here, you see it there in 2 Timothy 3.16, reproof, then fault we have seen in terms of Matthew 18.15, and expose in terms of Paul's instruction to the Ephesians in Ephesians 5. Is there a way that we can summarize what this term actually means? Remember, we are grasping how our Bible is usable, is usable. Hence, it becomes evident that the summarizing principle, which the term means, is this to show someone their sin, expose or fault, you see, of that sin, and to summons them to repentance, to repentance. It is very helpful here in 2 Timothy that we keep in mind the context, the context. Paul is instructing Timothy in pastoring, in pastoring. Remember, what are Timothy and the church going to be left with after the apostles all die? They will be left with the Holy Scripture, words which are the very product of God's breath. The future ministry of Timothy and Christ's church will be dependent upon how he and the church use, how does the church use Holy Scripture? The ministry of Holy Scripture will indeed be usable for instructing and teaching the very will of God. Such instruction will be needed for the sake for the sake of the glorification of the church. But what else will the church need to live God's will? We need the Holy Scripture to show us, to show us our sin and continually bring repentance as we cling to the righteousness, the righteousness of Christ by faith. Although Christ has already crucified our sin to the cross, and he has already raised us to sit in the heavenly places, we know that we also continue to live in this very wicked world in which our battle with the old man 
remains real within each one of us. We continue to sin. And sin continues to seduce each one of us. For this reason, we are in dire need, dire need for the sacred words of Scripture to reprove, to correct, to convict, expose our faults in order that we may live a life of continual repentance before our righteous God. In light of Christ's ascension, and that the apostles are gone. We need the presence of God and his authority continually in the church. We need and we are promised by our Lord in John 16, 18, that the Holy Spirit, here comes the word again. Here comes this word again in the Greek. The Holy Spirit will correct, will reprove, will convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Congregation, we now live in the era of the Holy Spirit. The era of the Holy Spirit has begun. The Spirit performs his task through the ordinary means of the preached word, the preached word, as well as the reading of the word. In the work of his Spirit, Christ maintains his promise that he will be with his church even to the end of the age. That's the promise he has made to each of us in Matthew 28, verse 20. The congregation under the canopy of the progressive revelation of the New Testament we can pick up some perceptive insights concerning this second characteristic of the usability of Scripture. The prophetic word of God comes to reprove, to correct one of sin and demand repentance. Luke 3, 19. The self-revelation of Christ and his word is light, which penetrates and exposes the darkness of the world as well as the darkness of the soul. Obviously, such conviction drives the true believer, the true believer, to repentance. John 3.20 in Ephesians 5, which we have read this morning. Moreover, being immersed in the holy word of God, brings full exposure before the precepts of God's law. Herein I am referring to the use of our Greek word found in James, which we read this morning, James chapter 2, verse 9. Listen to the context, beginning in verse 8, once again, of that passage. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. Now at this point, let us turn to a classic example of partiality, which continues to haunt, to haunt Christ's church, and in which we here at Emmanuel must be on our guard as Christ continues, continues to sustain each of us in the faith. Let's say that a very poor-looking individual walks into our church on a Sunday morning. And on the same Sunday, an individual walks in who looks to be wealthy. Which one gets our attention? Will we greet the wealthy one? at the expense of the one that looks poor? Do we self-consciously choose who we want to be members of our congregation on the basis of wealth, perhaps appearance, perhaps personality? If this is exposed in our hearts, we need the scripture to rebuke us to expose our sin and to convict us of that sin and drive us to repentance. James in chapter 2, 8 and 9 is using the scripture to expose the sin of partiality. Of partiality. The word of God is the authority which reproves, corrects, and exposes one's fault of sin and the need for repentance. Now keep this in mind as we continue to break this down for the sake of our life in Christ's church. Let's turn to the subject of confronting one another. I have already brought to your mind that our Greek word is used by our Savior, our Savior with respect to one, with respect to one believer confronting another believer concerning sin in the classic Matthew eighteen fifteen passage. If your brother sins against you. Go and tell him his, here's the Greek word, that Greek word, his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. Congregation, I must admit that I have personally witnessed the abusive use of this passage. In many ways, this passage is so often misused. First, there are those who will employ this passage in order to really get somebody. That person sinned against me, and that person must pay. That person must pay. In fact, Matthew 18 is used too often to defend one's personal revenge against another. 
Simply put, I will use Matthew 18 in order to vindicate my own conscience before God. Oh, congregation, I have seen this type of spirit among Christians, and sadly it is becoming more and more unchecked. It is wicked. The purpose of confronting our brothers and sisters in sin is to have them listen. Listen and repent. The purpose is restoration and reconciliation. It is not vengeance. In the second place concerning Matthew 18... There is the person who uses Matthew 18 piously to hide their sin from a person they have offended. This person knows they have sinned against a fellow believer, but they hide behind their own self-piety, demanding that the person produce the evidence when the offender knows the person cannot or will not produce the evidence. You see, the use of Matthew 18 can be one, vengeful. Furthermore, in the second place, we can hide behind our own sin using Matthew 18 to protect ourselves. That is not all. Thirdly, We have seen, I have seen this as well. Christians are famous for deflecting accurate accusations made against them by remarking, by remarking that we witnessed that another person was doing the same thing and no accusations were made against them. Now, obviously, congregation, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ must be always consistent in these manners. But nevertheless, often what happens in these situations as well is a person will try to use some knowledge that they have to deflect their own, their own sin and responsibility for repentance. But aren't such Responses missing the point of Christ's own words there in Matthew 18. Aren't such responses missing the point of Paul's instruction to Timothy concerning the usability of the scripture? We have a tendency to get too hung up about the person, the minister or the elder who confronts us about our sin. In such situations, it is not the person coming to you and exposing your sin that is the issue. Rather, if you truly, if we truly and correctly use the word of God to reprove, to correct, to convict, to expose our fault, it is the word of God. It is the word of God, the authority of God himself from his word that convicts, corrects, rebukes each of us concerning our sin 
and drives us, drives us to repentance. We must, we must desire the reproof and correction of God's word. We must desire the discipline of God's word to sanctify your soul. Remember the passage last week? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, concerning sanctification. You must want God's word with all your being to dispose the remnants the remnants of wicked sin in your hearts. Do you not see? Do you not see, congregation? The same Spirit, the same Spirit who writes the Holy Scripture is the Spirit that sanctifies the whole person in Christ. Please, please highlight that in your life. I'll repeat. The same Spirit who writes Holy Scripture is the Spirit who sanctifies your whole person in Christ. In effect, Paul is telling Timothy that the Holy Scriptures is the means to sanctification, whether sanctification comes through the preaching of the word. That is why it is incumbent upon me, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, to preach to you and to me the issues of grace and sin and repentance that is imperative And through the reading of the word in family worship and personal devotions, that word is rebuking, convicting you of your sin in order to restore you unto Christ through a life of repentance. The reverent, the reverent use of, of the word is sanctifying you as you are in it, as you are immersed in it. Listen carefully. Scripture bringing repentance is highlighted on your notes. Scripture Bringing repentance is synonymous with the Holy Spirit bringing repentance. Why is it? You can almost count on it that when people are living In deep sin, even within the church, you will discover that they're not reading the Bible daily. It's almost guaranteed.
you see, in terms of the scripture bringing repentance in our reading of it, you see, is this not what we want? Is this not what we need? Is this not what the true believer desires? The problem is that we have a tendency to view the confrontation of sin through negative eyes. Someone is out to get me. No. (laughs) But the truth is not negative. It is positive. It is positive. Paul is telling Timothy that God's word is ripe, is ripe for the task of lifting up, lifting up the body of Christ, each one of you. His word reproves, convicts, and exposes the fault of our sin in order to set us right, right before him. To point us away from our sin towards repentance and God's grace found solely in Christ. Have you listened over the last year? I've continually placed before you that your life must participate and live out of the text of Scripture. You are in the text when you read it. Isn't it amazing? Evangelicals and Reformed people alike, they will, they will cast themselves upon their ground, upon the sword, for the sake of the word of God, that it's infallible and it is that which leads us into all truth, and that it is indeed without error. But then they turn around and they want what? They want something that authenticates their life. They want experience. They want emotion. They want feeling. The evangelical world listens more to personal testimonies than read the Bible. You talk about denying, and I'm serious about that. You talk about denying the power of the word of God. No. Live. Live in the word. 
sharper than a two-edged sword. Let us hear clearly from the author of Hebrews the exhortation that God has spoken to you in his holy word in Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. There's the word. For the Lord disciplines the one who he what? Who he what? Loves, loves. You can't have love without the discipline of the word in your life. Love and chastens every son whom he receives. Christ from his ascended throne. Please don't miss this text. Christ from his ascended throne in heaven puts it this way to the churches as they endure the final days of salvation on earth in Revelation 3.19. You want a succinct statement? This is Jesus. Not Bill Dennison of what we're talking about this morning. Here it is in a nice, simple statement by your Lord and Savior. Those whom I love, the showers of love that Jesus pours out to us, I reprove, there's the word, I reprove in discipline. Now what? Now what, church of Jesus Christ? Now what? Are you listening to Jesus? Are you listening to Jesus? Does he really mean something to you? Be zealous, zealous, and repent. You can't get it any clearer than that. O living body of Jesus Christ, this is the ministry of Christ to us in the age of the Holy Spirit. We must covet such a ministry from the word of God and from the Christ who loves and gave himself for each one of us. Why? To what end? Remember? To what end in this series? series? To your sanctification. Your sanctification in Christ. Moreover, so that your faith, your faith will see the things not presently seen, living by faith. Living by the word of God is the evidence. Living by God's word is the evidence that you will see the things hoped for. Hebrews 11.1, 1, you know it. 
Paul is pleading with Timothy with all his apostolic authority to use the authority of the Scripture in the church for only repentant sinners, only repentant sinners who live by faith will see Christ. Is that you? Is that each of us? Will we all see Christ forever and ever? Let's pray. O Spirit of the living God, instill in us hearts of confidence, assurance that we have the gospel, the love of Jesus Christ in our hearts to such a degree that we will continue to immerse ourselves in the word of God and for those who are having trouble to do that each day we ask O God thy spirit upon their hearts and convict them to live and to read thy word and see the fruits of redemption blossom in their lives Oh, convict us of sin for the sake of the triumphant righteousness of Christ. Instill in each one of us an everlasting and powerful faith. In Christ's name, amen.